So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Today we're going to be looking at creating a high-performing team, the second stage in the mini-series that we're looking at, where we're going to look at accelerating trust and this all-important role clarity that's going to set the team up for success. Just before we dive into today's content, I just wanted to say a few thank yous because it's been our biggest week of downloads so far. So thank you so much to all those people who've shared this in their LinkedIn feed. That's absolutely brilliant. And also for your ratings on Apple, especially Ben Walters for that very kind note and recommending this uh, to all of the network across Apple. So thank you very much, Ben, and everybody else who's given this a rating. If you do have any questions for future shows, I'll just take this opportunity to give you the email address again, hello at sportingedge.com. I really want to make this practical. So get in your um, voice notes or your sound bites through to the show is really, really important so that I can pick the insights from our Performance Zone library and help you with some very practical tools for your own businesses. So in the last session, we spoke about the startup team, if you like. This was the Rajasthan Royals in the Indian Premier League. We started the team from scratch. There was no history to connect to. We had to start a brand new brand. And that idea of connecting to an authentic story around the resilience and the tenacity, the underdog story of how we were going to defend our territory was really powerful. We had an inspirational captain and we set this aspirational goal of winning the Indian Premier League, which we actually went and did. We also heard from Gary Kirsten talk about the importance of getting buy-in with senior stakeholders in our team. And Paul McGinley, the Ryder Cup winning captain, talking about how he used storytelling to connect the individual players from all across Europe into that Ryder Cup heritage that had been going on for many, many decades and how he wanted them to sit in a pub one night and look across the bar at each other and wink and say, we were the ones that were there. We did it. We sacrificed and we won. And that pride that comes from being part of a high performing team is definitely something that we all dream of. But actually building it is a hard thing. There's no scientific formula or chemical equation for it, but we need to build it step by step. And our first insight in today's session comes from Professor Tammy Erickson, who's from London Business School. And she's got some great insights 
around leadership and culture. But in this particular insight, she talks about how a team needs to take responsibility for shaping the culture and the rules and the permissions that it sets up for itself as it moves forward. And this is a great insight from Tammy Erickson. One of the most important things to consider is the formation of a trust-based relationship with your colleagues. So take the initiative as an individual to get to know the people on your team and ask yourself whether you've got the kind of relationship with them where they feel safe uh, and you feel safe and you're going to share ideas freely. Uh, research into teams that work well has shown that one of the strongest correlates of that is actually equal talking time. So when your team gets together, pay attention to how the dialogue goes in terms of the amount of time each member speaks. If you are in a situation where one person is talking all the time and very few other people are, you're not in a very effective team. And if you've got any way to influence that, to be able to maybe say, hey guys, let's step back and, and think about this and create a, an idea, a platform where everybody's ideas can come forward, that can be one really effective way. One of the things that I teach when I work with the uh, uh, master's degree students at London Business School, young people just starting out in their careers, is I encourage them to form a formal team contract at the beginning of their time together as a team. So sit down and talk about things like that. We're all going to have equal talking time. Or how will you make decisions as a team? Is it going to be a vote and you'll largest number wins or are you going to continue to debate until you reach a consensus? What, what's going to be your process? What are your expectations? What are the kinds of penalties that you're going to put in place for people who let the team down? Teams have to be self-managing in that sense. And so talking about those issues in a forthright way and coming to an agreement, particularly before an issue arises, can make a huge difference in team effectiveness. That's a really great point from Tammy about setting yourself up for success. I love the way she blends some of the latest research in leadership with some very practical insights about what teams can actually do to set themselves up. I, I really love her insights from those um, that hour I spent interviewing her as part of our library. So the conversations that you need to th be thinking about with your team are, have you set yourselves up for success? Maybe considering, do you have equal talk time? Have you thought about how you're going to make decisions? Have you thought about, is it consensus or you're just going to keep debating? How are you going to work that out? And do people feel safe to contribute and challenge in that environment? Because everyone has an equal share in creating that culture, whether they speak or not. By half of the room not speaking and feeling intimidated or shy or undervalued, then that creates a particular culture. So we've got to try and set the team up for success at the very outset because we're going to need these rules and these foundational principles as we start to load more and more pressure coming into the team later on. And as we'll hear as we move through this team development cycle, we'll actually get more conflict and we'll get more problems arising if we haven't set the tone early. So, so much of this theme around psychological safety is coming out in the corporate world at the moment. We need more creative thinking. We need more inclusive teams. 
And we're so aware of the damage that um, poor mental health can bring and stress. So we need to set our teams up to be a safe place, an innovative place, a challenging place for sure, but a respectful place where we can actually develop a culture that we can do our best work and achieve those goals that are going to make us so proud. So this is really foundational stuff to get these things in place. But often we're entering this difficult phase because we all came into this team slightly nervous. It was all new. We were on our best behavior. But now the novelty's wearing off. We've been set our goals. We've sort of defined who we are and how we're going to go about it. So we need to be comfortable bringing our whole self to work. We don't want people holding back. And this is where trust needs to be developed and nurtured because this human side of the team is absolutely critical. And these authentic, honest stories about imperfection and, and concerns and vulnerabilities. And that's where the, the trust is actually built rather than imagining you know, 10 or 12 robots walking into a room, getting some instruction and walking away saying, yes, that sounds perfect, boss, we'll go away and do it. This is much more about sharing those stories about concerns and vulnerabilities that we might have so that we get everything aired, we get everything clarified, and then we can move forward. So as we're jostling for our social standing in this new team, we've got to remember that we're not mates. We're not mates from the local pub. We've got those that we meet on a Friday or a Saturday night. We've been selected into this team, not as mates, but as teammates. And that means we have to set ourselves up for effectiveness. There's going to be a time pressure. There's going to be expectation building and we need to be ready. So we need to accelerate these conversations and have the courage because we mean business here. And that needs to start right now. I did ask into my LinkedIn feed and community about some of the challenges that people saw at this stage in building a team. And we got a great observation from Sandra in Hong Kong, who was saying that she thinks teams fail uh, from the very start in her experience on three accounts. And that's one is poor leadership. The second is an unclear scope. And the third is unclear roles and accountability. And that's so basic, but unfortunately, it's so common that these things aren't put in place pro properly. And we also have a question from Natalie that comes from one of our corporate clients that emailed in to hello at sportingedge.com around alignment. So this is Natalie's question. How do we make sure that our teams are aligned about our strategy and objectives? So this all important question that Natalie's asking around alignment, around our strategy. So how do we make sure that our team is aligned around our strategy and objectives. And I think we've got three considerations or three stages. The first thing around role clarity is making sure that we've briefed each of the individuals of what's expected, what good looks like, the remit that we're giving them and how we expect them to go about their business. Then what we expect is some kind of conversation one-to-one -one with these individuals so that they accept that role. I've seen a lot of coaches stand up and tell individuals, this is how we want you to play. But actually, if the player doesn't buy into that, then it's just the coach's plan. We need this to be a performance partnership where the individuals in our team actually say, yep, okay, I get that's what you want me to achieve. And I know that's the strategic intent. So I can do that, but I might need to flex a little bit and work in this way. Is that acceptable? 
And that's when we say, yep, yeah, that's great. Go ahead and do it. And when we've got those three steps of role clarity, role acceptance, and then that's when we get role commitment at an individual level. The second stage of this is to start thinking, well, we can't just have individuals brilliantly operating and executing their skills in silos. So we need these connections between individuals, the the baton being passed effectively. Um, We can't have silos. We need the interdependence between individuals or between working groups to be solid so that we don't get any duplication or we don't get any gaps where we drop the baton in between thinking that the other person should have had hold of it. So this is where we need to create some shared understanding around not only what my role is, but also what the role of each of my teammates is so that I know what their their remit is, what their targets are and what they're accountable for. So that when I see them operating in a different way to those targets, I can challenge them. And I also know when to trust them to get on with that or who to pull in to support me. So this idea of creating interdependent conversations and and sharing where the joints and the handover points are going to be is absolutely critical to being an effective and an efficient team. And then the third part of this is we've talked about individual acceptance and commitment. We've spoken about creating that shared mental model of how the team's going to operate interdependently. Now what we need to make sure is that all of those roles, both individual and the small working groups, are aligned to the strategic goals that we've set for the business or for the sports team. So we know that that style of play or, you know, this mindset or these statistical targets that we've set, whether they're financial or, you know, KPIs in a sporting setting, we need to know that my role is aligned, my team, my mini team's role is aligned, and now we're all absolutely firing on all cylinders towards that main target that we've got. And you'll have your own ideas around the different software platforms to use for this. I mean, if anyone's got any great success stories from that, please do email in at hello at sportingedge.com. And I'm happy to share the latest tech platforms for project management or put it in LinkedIn about what you're using to be agile and effective. But another great one is that simple RACI Uh, framework, which is around everybody knowing whether they are responsible for a particular part of the job, accountable for a particular part of the job. Have they just been consulted so that they're, um, you know, they're going to be consulted into that relationship to make sure the job is done well as a point of contact? Or are they just being informed, the I, that the job is getting done and that they're, you know, the thing's in progress. So where we've got, um, responsible, accountable, consulted and informed. Those are some really nice words and frameworks to think about for each of the roles in our teams that everybody knows whether they're playing the the sort of spotlight role to be accountable or are they just being informed and they're not expected to actually do anything particularly apart from make sure they know all of the different stages of development through the team. So that's a nice way of visualizing uh, the ability to get role clarity, role acceptance and interdependent teams starting to understand that if I do my job, this has a great impact on the others. If if I'm in the scrum and I can produce the ball in this way, then I know the backs are going to get space to deliver and run. 
if I'm in the legal team, then I know that um, my work is done, the contract is is done, the procurement and the legal side is done. That can now move to the finance team to execute and the operational team to deliver with the client. So this, these interdependencies are the things that are absolutely critical that everybody understands that timeline or that supply chain of getting it from A to B. But then what we really need to do is try and understand how the roles all come together. And one of the best examples I've seen is from the world of high performance in classical music. So I was really privileged to meet Dominic Aldis, who's one of the best orchestra conductors in the world. And I caught up with him between his hectic international concert schedule to understand his role in leading a diverse team of talented individuals who come together and create one beautiful sound. Now, before we hear from Dominic, let's just hear a few seconds of his work as he coordinates the various performers in the orchestra right in front of him. Isn't that absolutely stunning? And maybe next time... I'll ask Dominic if I can stand at the back and play the triangle or smash the cymbals or something, but maybe that ruins that perfect sound that we've just heard. So for most people, we've got a strategy down on paper, but it's actually how do we create that chemistry in the team and that respect and understanding and awareness in the team so that each of those individual musicians can understand how they deliver that strategy or symphony in their case so perfectly. Let's hear from Dominic about how those roles are developed in the orchestra. Well, I find the orchestras interesting also because there are different roles. There's the role of the trumpet, for example. doesn't play very often, but when it plays, everyone hears it. So their skill set is around absolutely being present even when they're not playing so that when that moment comes to play, they can produce a fantastically clear note with confidence. Contrast that, for example, with the double bass, which is an accompaniment instrument. It's about support, reliability, consistency. It's an instrument which is there to give other people security. That's a different role, a different skill. A violin, for example, there may be 20 or 30 in a section, and it's about uh, being able to synchronize and blend what you do with the other musicians so that it sounds with one voice. And just the intensity and concentration that you need to maintain to play so many notes and to carry the theme is a different role again. So the orchestra is fascinating because all of these different roles are present and I think they have a great analogy uh, to the business world. So I can hear your brain whirring, who is the trumpet in my team? It's such a vivid example, isn't it, of all those different elements and sections of the orchestra coming together to develop that serene symphony so have you got that serene symphony or is yours more of a dysfunctional dirge in your team where everyone's competing for the spotlight, everyone's playing over the top of each other and, and jumping forward to get closer to the crowd? 
that example of how the high performing teams, these orchestras work together is incredible. And that idea of the violins, 20 of them all synchronized perfectly to create that mood and that rhythm that uh, Dominic speaks about and how the double bass is there to not necessarily get the recognition they deserve, but that slow, steady rhythm that supports the other musicians. So it's a nice exercise for you to reflect on with your group and also to think about the role of the conductor, the silent conductor that is optimizing performance. Or maybe in your team, the leader is making more noise than the orchestra themselves. I'll leave that with you to think about, but it's a really powerful and vivid example of how we can imagine our teams, each having their own individual role. The plan is down on paper, but it needs bringing to life. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. I want to introduce you to Sporting Edge's Winning Mindset for Leaders program. It builds on many of today's key themes and explores the 12 factors of great leadership, which have emerged from our research into the psychology of high performance. We've interviewed some of the world's highest profile leaders from the military, elite sport and the performing arts to find out how they lead themselves, their teams and their organisations through periods of pressure and uncertainty. Their fascinating personal experiences and strategies have been curated into a pioneering digital coaching programme to accelerate your leadership impact. We've created the programme to be flexible around your busy schedule and you'll be able to apply the case studies and examples directly into your own career to maximise your impact. So learn more about our Winning Mindset for Leaders programme at sportingedge.com. In times of uncertainty, change and pressure, good leadership is a game changer. The Winning Mindset for Leaders is a pioneering digital coaching program which will equip you with the mindset and skills you need to lead yourself, your team and your organisation through turbulent times. With insights from world-class strategists, academics and leaders from elite sport, the military, performing arts and business, these essential skills will keep you ahead of the game. Find out more about this transformational 12-week program at www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. The winning mindset for leaders. So we've definitely got that sheet of paper with our roles and accountabilities, but the build on top of that is how we build this human side, the emotional side that allows other people to succeed. We have that awareness of other people when it's their time to be in the spotlight and how we need to sit back and how we need to play a supporting role. All of those things are dynamic just as they are in the orchestra. And it's interesting to think about the two elements that bring a team together. And that's either the task cohesion, which is about we are here to do a job. We are the robots. We can do our jobs in silos. We have no sort of human bond. Or is it a social cohesion where we've got very, very strong relationships? You know, the job's great, but actually it's our the depth of our friendships that's actually galvanizing this team together. So in a high performing team, we need both. We absolutely need that ruthless, clinical, mechanical side of getting the job done. But we also need when there is striving, when there is disagreement, when there is trust that's needed to go that extra mile, that human side is absolutely critical to it. 
to building that interdependence that allows you to become much more successful as an individual than you would have been if you were just working on your own. So all of these elements are really important as we start to build a team. And that's why the awareness of each other's strengths and each other's roles is really, really critical for teams to discuss. So now we're going to hear an insight from our military leaders. And I run some of the senior leadership sessions for the generals at Sandhurst Military Academy. And I met Colonel Lucy Giles, who was the first female college commander at the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst. And this is a very practical story of a military team exercise under pressure where the team organized themselves and made their resources deployed in the most effective way possible to deliver their skills under pressure. This is Lucy Giles. We have uh, every year a Sandhurst Cup team that go to West Point and um, compete in a military exercise. Uh, we, we train quite hard for it here at Sandhurst and we do a lot of physical and mental developments and we focus on courage and, and so on and so forth. And it's very team orientated. But still, two days before that competition, when I saw them early in April 16, they were sitting there thinking, right, well, actually, I'm the biggest and I can carry the most load. So I think that's my strength. But I know that if I do that for two days on the trot, I'm going to become a liability for the team. So I think I need to balance it here. That was one individual sharing with the rest of the team what he thought of his strengths and weaknesses. I had one of the other girls uh, who said, um, actually, I can't sustain carrying the weight for um, the period of time that I am, but I, I will keep going. So my strength is that I don't give up and I'm tenacious. Um, but I might need some help at this particular stage because you're bigger and stronger than I am. And for this particular mo part of the event, that will be best to support the team goal. So it's being open about where your strengths and weaknesses are within the group. So again, we can picture that army team, this mixed army team, picking up huge pieces of cannons and wheels and, and racing around an assault course to make sure that they beat these international competitors. But it's those honest conversations about where we feel we're going to be strong or where we feel vulnerable or where we've got doubts. Those are absolutely critical to be aired at the start of this team journey, because that's where we start to avoid the duplication, avoid the mistakes, and we're able to optimise our efficiency as we start to take our skills into this pressure environment. So we need to be able to voice our concern. And that's where this human element of setting the team up so that there is a safe element is absolutely critical because that's what builds the trust and that's what forms the glue in between the team, not just at a functional level, but at this all important human level. And I need you to help me to be at my best. I love that ability to ask for help so that I can be at my best for us as a team. So what we do by creating that kind of safe environment is rather than individuals thinking about, God, how am I going to cope with this in, in their own head? We actually start to think about how can I help my teammates to be the best they can be under pressure? 
And if we do that and we become selfless and we start to think about how we're going to make the connections work and these interdependencies work and how we're going to help our peers improve their skills, then all of a sudden, once that's turned around, I've got six, eight, 10, 12, 15, however many in our team, all thinking about how they can support me. And now under pressure, rather than feeling like I'm shrinking down and becoming more vulnerable, I actually feel like I've got everyone's watching my back and they're going to leverage my skills, but they're going to cover me at the point of weakness because I've, I've told everybody about it. And far from making me look more vulnerable, it's actually made me look more courageous and stronger. And the high performing teams absolutely respect that because they can't tolerate burying things and that cause failure down the line. We'd rather have it out in the open so that we can do something about it. And again, this can't just be done by the leader telling everybody their role and what to do. This has to be taken down to that tactical level because the interpersonal glue, this interdependence at an emotional level has to be owned and discussed and clarified and confirmed around the team that's going to execute the plan in real time under pressure. So we've got our next question coming through from Malcolm, who emailed in to hello at sportingedge.com. Hi, Jeremy, it's Malcolm. How do we increase teamwork when everyone has their own individual roles and targets that they're accountable for? So a classic question there from Malcolm, and, and it links back to Natalie's point earlier around generating this sense of team. It's not just what people are doing, but how people are doing it that's going to be really important. And some days you play a starring role and it's, the market's working for you, the client's success is coming for you, or the ball is dropping at your feet. But the next day, it's going to be somebody else's role and somebody else's starring role that's going to be absolutely critical to the team's success. So the high-performing teams celebrate the contribution and success of others, and they absolutely thrive on the individuals who've had a great day because it turns itself around and one day it's going to be your time in the spotlight. And we've got a great insight from our Performance Zone library here from Kate Richardson Walsh, who was the captain of the Team GB hockey team who won gold in the, in the Olympics. And this is her insight around the importance of, especially in elite sport, where people, the media are trying to celebrate an individual hero. They're trying to pin it on one individual person. The high-performing teams celebrate the roles of those who are sometimes in the shadows. This is Kate's insight. I think as a team, we had to learn to, I think, to celebrate people like that. I'm thinking of one player in particular. Um, she was a forward. And I think lots of the forwards were, you would maybe put in the kind of flashy, skillful, fast, you know, dribbling, catch-the-eye kind of player. But this player in particular was hold the ball up, keep the game ticking over, hard as nails defensively, was able to read uh, defences brilliantly well, would be able to get into the mind of the opposition, would throw herself at, at things in, in, the, in around the circle. And, and we celebrated that as a group. We celebrated her in video meetings. The coach made sure she would make some kind of leads off the ball that people maybe watching the game wouldn't even notice. The cameras possibly wouldn't even pick it up. She made that simple run to the baseline or out to the sideline. And we'd, we would celebrate that in, in the squad because you need it all. You cannot have one without the other. And, and that was discussed often within the, within the team. So another fascinating insight there about how we 
celebrate each of the individuals in the team. So we have this in the sales environment as well. We had a, a question in from Alex last week about how do we uh, motivate people in a sales team when everyone's got their individual targets? Well, if we are just dog eat dog thinking about 100% of my bonus comes from what I, uh, I'm able to, to, to find, then that creates a certain behavior. But if we're building out a, a sales team and we start to create part of my personal bonus comes from what we achieve as a team, then we're much more likely to create more collaboration, more idea sharing around how we've sold you know, our products, how we've had customer success, sharing leads, sharing the database so that we get a more collaborative approach and it's not a dog-eat-dog -dog kind of environment. So, so those, the, the way we reward people financially is really important. The way the team is set up is really important. But the question is, especially in sport, coming back to Kate's point, is who deserves the praise? Is it the person who dribbled through the final defenders to score the goal? Because that's the picture that we see on the back pages of the newspaper. That's the person in the spotlight. But actually, there was a person that did the assist to give them the ball three quarters away down the pitch. And actually, halfway along the pitch, there was a, a gritty and courageous tackle made where it was a 50-50 ball and, and one of our players won the ball. So... That's the beginning of the supply chain. So maybe we need to praise in the high performing team, the person who put the extra shift in to get back and, and recover the ball and then pass the ball to our play assist uh, to the assister. And then they went off and, and passed the ball to the person who scored the goal. Now, all of these elements are really, really important. So the key is, are we noticing these people who are maybe in the spotlight? Do they get the praise, the recognition and the bonus that they need to be selfless? Because without that, they're going to you know, think more about themselves. And we absolutely need their selfless contribution time after time to go above and beyond to contribute to the team and do something special. So while the annual awards dinner is great to get that shiny gong to put on the mantelpiece, showing our appreciation, our recognition on a daily basis for the support team that sit behind the stars is absolutely critical for that sense of being appreciated and that sense of belonging. Because it's amazing in a high-performing team how successful you can be when you don't care who gets the praise. The worst-case scenario is when you've got everyone clambering to show how good they are because they take their eye off the game plan. They take their eye off the team, off these interdependencies. And that selfish focus, again, can pull the team down on a negative spiral. So we really need to think about how we're going to praise and recognize those individuals who've been selfless and equally critical, just as the stars are in scoring that, those goals. So as ever, I really hope this content from across music, the military and elite sport has given you some really fascinating high performance perspectives and has stimulated some reflection on the psychology and culture of your own teams. I'd love some feedback on these insights from all these different backgrounds and how you're able to translate them into very practical techniques. Also, I'd love some very quick feedback on the style of these podcasts. We've varied from 
around 35 minutes up to about 60 minutes so far. So if you do get a chance to give me some direct feedback to hello at sportingedge.com, I definitely will read them all personally and I will definitely take them on board. So hit me straight between the eyes with your comments. Um, Please do subscribe on Apple. I know that on the day that we launch this this podcast series, we've got people downloading it. So that means you're getting it first if you're subscribing on Apple or Spotify. If you want more information or you want to see some of the videos and white papers that we've created, then go to sportingedge.com. And also join the conversation on LinkedIn. Over the next few days, I'm going to be thinking about the next podcast, which is about how we deal with conflict. How do we manage these mavericks? These are the themes that are going to come up. So I'd love your comments, your questions. Please do send them through because I want to make this as practical as I can. So I hope you've really enjoyed this session. We spoke about the clarity that we need around individuals' roles. They need to accept and understand that so that they can buy into it. It becomes their plan and then they go and deliver it. That's not enough. We need to then show them how their role is related to the other players' roles, the other performers' roles. When you do this, the other people are doing this and together this is where we start to build out success. So the interdependencies, the handover points, the duplication errors can be stopped. And if we can do that and get clarity around that, then we need to align everybody else's role towards that end goal, that strategy, that end of year performance, that tournament success, whatever our strategic goal is. So everyone can see that line between my particular job description, even if it's a support role, I know that I'm making a difference to my team. And if my team makes a difference to our region, then our region can make a difference to our country. And if our country hits its target, then that's great. That moves the business forward. So I need to see my role and my sacrifice being aligned to something bigger than myself. And then we started to look at that all important element around trust and how we show that vulnerability, how we discuss our strengths and our weaknesses and what we're worried about, because that at the human level is where we start to get both task efficiency through our job description, but that all important human social cohesion that's going to bind the relationships together that we need to lean on under pressure. And if we can get the awareness of what each other are doing in the team and our perfect mastery level execution ourselves, then we'll end up like one of Dominic's orchestras and we will sound like we're in perfect timing. And I really hope that you take that analogy back into your team and you make beautiful music in the coming weeks. So thanks so much for tuning in. Please do send your questions through to hello at sportingedge.com. Make sure you subscribe. And if you get a chance to give us a, a mention on LinkedIn as well, that'd be great. And until next time, good luck and I'll see you soon.